good morning. Merry Christmas season to you all, and we are so grateful we were able to have this amazing Gingerbread Wars event this uh, past week. We had a, a, just a blast uh, watching people's creativity. It was pretty amazing, actually, to see some of the creativity and the ingenuity of that particular event. Uh, but I did kind of feel like our, our kids' ministry director, uh, Gail Chamberlain, kind of got hosed a little bit. So if you saw, there was this, this one that was I mean, actually an exact replica of the floating house that Gail grew up in. And I told her, she had a little picture of it next to it. I said, you should have like, got up and shared the story. And I think then everybody would have cried and you would have gotten a lot of you know, pity votes. And she probably would have won. So, you know, there's, there's always those opportunities. But it was a, a, a lot of fun. Um, the event really, I think, brought about just a lot of joy and laughter and a lot of what this season is all about, just remembering uh, God's presence in our lives this season. I wanted to just say a huge thanks to Candy McPhee and her family uh, for her willingness to help facilitate um, that particular event. She did all the hard work and the planning and the preparation. So can we thank Candy this morning for uh, the amazing efforts. We also wanted to just thank you, all of you for your willingness to partner with us in our Lafayette gift tree uh, this year. Uh, again, we've had the privilege to partner with Lafayette Elementary and uh, to purchase some gifts uh, to make Christmas for some of the families who just otherwise wouldn't have that opportunity to um, share that joy that comes with opening a present on Christmas morning. And so thank you for um, blessing uh, those, those families. Thank you for being the neighborhood to our community and to our uh, school here right in our neighborhood. I mean, it's going to be an amazing blessing for them. I neglected to thank our a resident decorating crew this past, this past week. Um, we had a crew that came together to make our Christmas festive feel come to life here in the church. And so I wanted to thank uh, Cliff and Esther Sturdivant, uh, Byron and Debbie Ropp, and then also uh, Crystal Dufour was part of the creative aspects of coming up with what you see before you. And so thank you to all of you and to our, our neighborhood church staff. Uh, we came together and and uh, put this all together for you to enjoy through the season. If it was up to me, there'd probably be uh, like a, a, a you know, generic wreath and maybe one of my nutcrackers from home, you know, from the, the nutcracker collection that Clements have. That would probably be it. So it'd probably be pretty pitiful. So, so I'm glad we have uh, decorators because that's not one of my spiritual gifts. So uh, there you have it. This morning, I, I do want to take uh, just a quick moment. We uh, are a church and so as a church we are a nonprofit, and we are a 501c3 so we have a membership uh, voting contingency that comprises uh, kind of the the operating aspects of our church and as such we always like to give opportunities for people to step into that next level of commitment at, at neighborhood church and so we uh, conducted a new members class back in uh, November and we had a number of people who came to that uh, that particular class pursuing membership and so this morning, we wanted to quickly acknowledge uh, the individuals who came through um, our membership class, uh, uh, pursuing new membership at Neighborhood Church. And so if you're here in the house, please stand and be recognized. We're not going to make you do a speech or anything, but uh, we'd like to recognize you. Caleb and Kelsey Eilert. Evan and Evelyn Grimm. Cody Hostetler. Evelyn Matthews. Margaret Marty McLaren. Kay Marie Novak, Robert and Dominique Stewart, and Hazel Jeannie Wells. 
And so we are so excited. Yes, we're super excited to have uh, these individuals uh, coming and taking that next step in membership at Neighborhood Church. And we're grateful for the blessing that they are to our church family. Well, over the last couple weeks, we've been engaged in a series entitled Searching for Christmas. And really, in the busyness of this season and all the craziness and excitement and enthusiasm, and also sometimes the, the, the difficult feelings that arise uh, this, this time of year, um, it is important for us to really embrace uh, the promise that we found in Scripture, Emmanuel, God with us. And so we've been talking the last couple weeks about what that looks like. How do we embrace, how do we engage God with us in a practical and a tangible way in our lives? And uh, so our, our text for the series has been found in Matthew chapter 1, uh, verse 23. And if you have your Bibles, you can flip there. If you don't, you can join us on the Version Bible app. Just search Events Neighborhood Church, and you'll find all of our information there. But Matthew chapter 1, verse 20, 22, starting in verse 22, says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we thank You. We thank You that You loved us so much that You were willing to send Your Son. Uh, that we could have life and life more abundant. That we could have a hope of salvation that we could have hope of an eternity with You. And so, Father, this season we embrace uh, the promise of God with us, Jesus, Emmanuel, the One who came to save us from our sins. And we ask, Lord, that You would, uh, God, just speak to our hearts today, that we would embrace what You're doing in the midst of these seasons that we, work, that we uh, walk through in our journey of faith. Lord, I pray Your blessing on each individual and each family Lord, as you bless them this, this season, Lord, with your goodness and your grace, and we thank you for what you're going to accomplish in our lives and in our hearts today, and we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning we continue on in this conversation. We, we talked last week about how we can experience God with us, not just on the mountaintop experiences, but also in the valleys as we walk through the valleys of life that, that bring about sometimes uh, the discouragement and the, and the heartache that we sometimes face in those valley seasons. And we talk about the fact that sometimes we have to walk through those valleys um, in order to grow in intimacy and grow in relationship with Jesus so that when we get to those mountaintop experiences, we can truly sense and see the presence and power of God. And the inevitable reality is that when we go through these seasons of our spiritual journey, that as we go through the valley and we reach the mountaintop and we see the amazing power of God in our lives, that oftentimes we'll find ourselves moving into a wilderness experience. Because the mountain, mountaintop experience is, is often followed by the uncertainty of the wilderness. We come from this place where you know, God is good and, and everything's going great and God's blessings are abundant and all these amazing things are happening. And then we find ourselves in a place of uncertainty. We find ourselves in a place of, of questioning what, what to do next and what's the right decision in life. And now we've come to this place and I don't know exactly what to do. 
But have you ever noticed that some of life's greatest tests of faith follow that mountaintop experience? You're on this spiritual high and everything's going great and then all of a sudden you're faced with a situation for which you don't know what to do. We experience victory and growth and breakthrough only to find ourselves the next moment face to face with uncertainty. And the trials and challenges that will shake the very foundation of our faith where we find ourselves questioning where God is. You know, this wilderness, this, this wilderness experience represents trials, it represents hardship, a season of wandering, if you think about the wilderness, not being sure of what to do next. You know, perhaps you've, you've been in a job for five years and you've come to this place and you're having great success, but you come to that place of going, okay, I've been here five years now, do I, I kind of grow roots down or is God taking me somewhere else? And you question what's next. Should I go back to school? Should I look for a better job? Find yourself in the wilderness. Or perhaps you, you've, you're like Gretchen and I. And, you know, we spent a, a season of our lives as, as young adults where we found ourselves renting houses for a long time. We tried repeatedly to buy a home and it seemed like every time we were getting near the finish line to purchase a home and begin to see equity you know, you know, strengthen our financial position, something would happen. I remember when we were previously here as, as uh, staff pastors at Oak Creek and, and we had had the opportunity to find a house that we were getting ready to purchase and we were so excited about it. It's this beautiful home and we had, we had agreed upon a, a great price and felt like we were getting a, an awesome deal over in Northeast Albany. And the inspection came back great. You know, the seven-year-old house is in great shape. Pumped up about that. And the appraisal comes back. The appraisal was $50,000 under the agreed-upon price. And I remember thinking to myself, what? Because it was in an in a, in a impacted area where housing prices and foreclosures had really t- taken out the foundation of the value of those homes. And we had to walk away from that that deal and, and ended up renting again for another six, seven, eight years and just feeling like, gosh, we just can't get ahead. And maybe you're in that season where you've rented your whole adult life and you're wondering if you have the faith to begin, begin to pursue purchasing a home and seeing that equity come. Or maybe you've been dating that special someone and you've been dating for years and your relationship continues to grow and you're hoping at some point that you'll have or maybe he'll have the guts to propose you know, and take that next step in your relationship. Keep going. Or do you call it quits and find somebody who wants to put a ring on it? You, know? you find yourself in the wilderness. You find yourself in that place of uncertainty, not knowing what you should do. And there can be so many of these seasons of life where we can feel close to God but still feel like everything is in flux. Like everything's still kind of up in the air and I don't know what I'm supposed to do or where I'm supposed to go. And it can be frustrating and debilitating. Career, relocation, kids. Maybe you just need a vacation. And everything seems to be spinning around. And we can begin to feel stuck. 
we can begin to feel paralyzed and, and even afraid and fearful for the next step in our journey and in our season. The reality is the wilderness often follows the mountaintop. Those awesome seasons, then we come to this place of uncertainty. We see it all, 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 the, all the time in Scripture. Right? Jesus, Jesus comes and, and is born of a virgin and goes and, and, and lives a, a perfect life. And He comes to this place where He's just getting ready to begin His ministry. And we find Jesus at, at the river and He's baptized by John the Baptist. This amazing picture of, of God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit coming together as we hear the voice of God. This is My Son in whom I'm well pleased. And the, the Spirit of God descends on Jesus as a dove. And this amazing picture. And then what happens? Immediately, we see Jesus taken into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan for 40 days. To be tested. We see it again in the, in, in the triumphant entry of, of Jesus into Jerusalem. He's gone throughout His ministry and He's now preparing for his, the end of His ministry on earth. And it's Peter and Jesus and His disciples and they're coming into Jerusalem and everybody's saying, Hosanna, all the palm branches are down and Jesus is riding in on His, his, his you know, stallion, His donkey. And they come into this place and Jesus is beginning to outline His heavenly kingdom in Luke chapter 22. And the disciples are pumped, right? You can see it. Disciples are hyped up. They're like, yes! Finally, Jesus is going to step into His kingdom on earth and He's going to establish His earthly kingdom. The Messiah is here. Everybody get excited. You can, you can, you can see it. They've got their little boom boxes. Or, you know, their, their, you know, their, their beats, you know, Bluetooth speakers and they're pumping Jesus freak their hype song you know, what would people if they knew that I... you guys all listen to it don't act like you didn't but they're in this place and there's this high level of excitement and anticipation and Jesus says to to Peter in in verse 31 Simon Simon Satan has asked to sift you as wheat but I've prayed for you Simon that your faith may not fail Woo! Wait, what? Right? He's like, here and then, wait, what did you just say? Sift me like wheat. What is that supposed to mean? And all of a sudden, Peter is face to face with uncertainty. And then Jesus goes on to say, and when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. How awesome is that? Jesus is awesome. Everything's going great. We're celebrities. We're with this guy. And Jesus is like, no, the devil has asked to sift you as wheat. And then he says, and when you've turned back, basically saying, you're going to fail and you're going to fail miserably, Peter. But when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. Peter doesn't understand that Jesus is speaking prophetically to this wilderness experience that Peter's about to walk into. And Peter says, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and even to death. And what is Jesus' response? I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. Woo! What? 
we can find ourselves in these moments where we come off the mountaintop and everything's going great, and then all of a sudden, wait, what? Test of faith? Uncertainty? You're going to question that you even know me. I can remember a time when I was in high school. I had the the privilege of going to Salem Academy High School. Woo! I was a proud crusader. Thank you very much. And uh, in going to Salem Academy, I had played baseball my entire life. Loved baseball. Loved the game. And my sophomore year, I was going out for the baseball team, and our athletic director got a hold of me, and he's like, hey, you're kind of fast. You should go out for track. And I was like, all right, okay. So I said, okay, and went out for track and ended up... Uh, jumping into hurdles, um, and uh, our AD was actually the hurdle coach, so that worked out pretty well. But I got pretty good at it, and, and my, my sophomore year had some success, had a little bit more success my junior year, and just missed out on state at my junior year. And I was like, ah, next year, my senior year, I want to I I run at state in the hurdles. So I can remember my senior year, we went up to this meet, the King's Invitational up in Seattle, and, and it was kind of the premier meet of, of the season. And I remember getting ready for this race, and it was kind of going to prepare us for, uh, for regionals and state. And I was all ready to go. I mean, I'd been working hard, I'd been training hard, and I was ready, doing all my visualizations. So I'm in the blocks, gun goes off, boom, I take off. Everything's going awesome. I'm kicking the snot out of the guys that are in the race with me, and I'm just, boom, hitting every hurdle right, you know, everything's smooth, I'm, and I get to the eighth hurdle, and I had a little lazy trail leg or something, and I clipped the hurdle and flipped end over end, ended up landing on my back and skinning it all up, and uh, it was painful, not going to lie, but it was probably a, a, little bit, a little bit more painful to my ego, and because uh, you're winning the race, and then all of a sudden you're not, and I got up, and I grabbed the eighth hurdle and kind of jumped over it and got enough steam to get over the last couple hurdles. But as soon as you touch a hurdle, you're disqualified. And so I finished the race. Everybody passed me. And I walked off the, I walked off the track and I was just, just devastated. I was frustrated. I was just emotionally like, what is, what is going on? And I remember walking off the track and my coach was standing there and I just started bawling like a third grade girl at the tender age of like 17 or 18. And it was brutal. And I just remember thinking to myself, what the heck? Like I worked, I trained, I prepared, and it's all for nothing. And it was one of those moments where I just thought, I don't think I want to keep doing this. This isn't worth it. It's not fun anymore. And I made the decision to continue on and ended up qualifying for state and meddling, but the reality was I was at a moment where I just thought, I'm, I'm done. And sometimes we face those situations in life where we just hit smack dab into whatever life's throwing at us. And we trip, and we fall, and we, and we, and we find ourselves in pain, whether it's self-inflicted or somebody else. The reality is even the best hurdlers, even the best athletes, even the best people, even the best followers of Jesus sometimes hit struggles. They fall. They crash. 
There's devastation and there's discouragement. There's confusion. But the question becomes, what do we do when we face the obstacle? What do we do when we fall? What do we do when we face struggle and uncertainty? Because the victories of life will always be followed by circumstances that will test and expose to where or to whom we've placed our trust. And it's in those moments that the real faith is exposed. You know, following the mountaintop, the temptation is often to rely on the strength of past successes. When we come down off the mountain and everything's been great and God's been good and we're just like, woo, God! The temptation is to just rely on the successes of the mountaintop to sustain us through the wilderness. And we can all fall prey to a belief that somehow the mountaintop experience was a direct reflection of our knowledge or our amazing experience or our infinite wisdom. That sometime we accomplished what happened on the mountaintop. That that was all us. I didn't need God's help. I'm pretty smart. I got this thing on lock. The tendency is to believe that our years of experience or our amazing connections or our uncanny ability to close the deal yields our success. That I'm the best in my industry and that's why I'm having success. And our identity quickly becomes wrapped up in the successes of the past. It becomes wrapped up in the things that we've done or accomplished. And we're like, yeah, that's who I am. That's what I'm about. We see this process unfold constantly in our daily walk with Jesus. We rely on His strength and power to get us through a tough time only then to experience a season of blessing and breakthrough and begin to think that it's something that we produced. And yet we were in desperation when we were asking His presence to be there for us. And we see this principle unfold in our text today in 1 Kings chapter 19. Following the amazing account of the prophet Elijah's victory on Mount Carmel. So let me set the stage for you a little bit. If if you're not familiar with this passage, if you are, it'll be a little bit of review. But Ahab has become king of Israel. King Ahab. And we see throughout Scripture, if you read much of the Old Testament and recount the lineage of kings, typically they'll list the king, they'll list the years that they reigned, and then they'll say something like this. This king, so-and-so, did right. Did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Or, we'll see this. They did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So we see, was this a godly king? Did they follow the direction of God for the people of Israel? Or did they do their own thing? And there were some pretty bad ones. Scripture. But the Bible says in 1 Kings 16, um, Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. Dude was a bad guy. He's a very, very wicked king. And to have done more evil than any of those before him was kind of a big deal because there were some pretty bad dudes that came before him. And if it wasn't bad enough that Ahab was wicked and didn't follow the leading and guiding of the the Lord, he had a real peach of a wife too. Her name was Jezebel. And Jezebel made Ahab look like a little pansy. She was not a nice lady. And uh, it shows up 
throughout Scripture. But if you remember what was going on in this passage of Scripture, there this, then this severe famine, and God had sent Elijah to give a message to Ahab. And, and before that message is delivered, um, Ahab takes exception with Elijah and begins to this, this, this crazy showdown. He, he takes, takes exception with Elijah, and, and, and now this like, like steel cage match is, is getting ready to, to commence, right? And Elijah finds himself in this battle with the prophets of Baal to see who's more powerful, God or Baal. And if you remember, the altars are built and two bulls are chosen for the sacrifice and the WWE Smackdown is getting ready to happen. And just in case you hadn't got the memo yet, um, WWE is not real. Just so, I know that's earth shattering for some of you, but and if you disagree, we can just agree to disagree. But we're in this, in this place, and Elijah's getting ready for this showdown. And it's Elijah versus 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah. So here he is. One man, 850 prophets. Right? It's getting ready to go down. And what happens? Elijah prevails miraculously over the prophets of Baal in a bloody, nasty display of desperation. These prophets are like cutting themselves and you know, sacrificing themselves to try and get the attention of their god, Baal. And Baal's a no-show. The prophets are all laying dead everywhere. And Elijah prevails because God shows up and consumes Elijah's sacrifice. You remember, they're pouring water all over the sacrifice and God brings the fire from heaven. So there's this incredible scene that's, that's unfolding. And what happens next? Ahab and Jezebel repent of their wicked ways. They throw Elijah a huge parade and make a proclamation that everyone must worship the one true God, Yahweh. No. No, that's not what happens at all. No, actually, Ahab tells Jezebel what has happened and she has a not-so-friendly response. This is her actual response. You can see it in 1 Kings Chapter 9, verse 1. It says, Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. In essence, I'm going to kill you. So, congratulations on your little victory on the mountain. And Elijah, this giant of faith, instead of stepping headlong into the power of God that he just witnessed on the mountain, he falls into desperation and, and, and falls into deep depression. He's like, ah! Right? And we've all been there. God does something amazing in our lives, something monumental, only to find ourselves followed by a test that literally shakes us to our core where we start to begin to question our, our faith, question our belief in God. And despite the display of, power, of the power and presence of God in our lives, we can often find ourselves in the wilderness running for our lives, literally running. Because here's the truth. Your greatest need exposed in the wilderness can become your greatest gift 
when it drives you to depend on God. When we face that wilderness experience and we're running for our lives and we don't know what's going on, the greatest gift is coming to a complete and utter dependence on God in the midst of uncertainty. Elijah came face to face with this reality. God used him in a, in a massive way on the mountaintop only for him to be faced with a wilderness that literally undoes his faith where he comes to this place of going, I, I don't know what, what to do. I don't know where to go. So let's pick up 1 Kings chapter 19, starting in verse 3. It says, Elijah was for afraid and ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. Wow. This like faith, you know, this, this, this giant of the faith is faced with uncertainty and he just buckles after just standing up to 850 prophets. And Elijah is afraid for his life. And he literally initiates the first ultimate marathon ever recorded in history. He just starts booking. And he takes off, and the Bible says he runs 100 miles without stopping. Come out of here. i got to get out of here. And if we're honest, every one of us is experienced a season like this we work is great and things are going well and we're seeing favor but our boss is passive aggressive and narcissistic and he's demanding we go i don't know if i want to stick around continue to deal with this love my job but i don't really like him or maybe you're in a season where you're dealing with teenagers because uh you know they start off cute really sweet and say like, oh and then they grow and they get bigger and you know they begin to talk back and um, they grow this omniscient all-knowing complex of you know let me explain to you mom dad how the world works because i have this extensive knowledge and understanding so let me impart that to you and they get a little argumentative and demanding perhaps you're dealing with some of those realities or maybe you've made ground financially and things are going well and you're starting to you know, build your savings and you're, you're financially free and coming to that place and then all of a sudden, the car breaks down. Or the water heater goes out. Or the toilet overflows and you don't know exactly what to do and there's financial outgo that moves you backwards. Or for us, you have to do a tooth extraction on your cat. Which those are inexpensive, by the way. So worth it, though. Totally worth it. Anyways, um, speaking of my wife, oh, <laughs> uh, Gretchen, you know, sometimes we'll make dinner. And, you know, she, she'll make this amazing dinner. And I know this never happens at your house, but, but the kids sit down and say, you know, could, this looks great. Can we have something else, though? It's always a nice gesture. Or assuming they do like it, they eat it all up and then they walk away and leave all the dishes for somebody else to pick up. 
<laughs> the reality is we, we can handle a lot ordinarily. But sometimes we face those moments of those seasons or we get to that point where one thing just pushes us over the edge. It's like, I don't think I want to keep trying to figure out how to do this. You know, Elijah's story is remarkable. He stood toe-to-toe with King Ahab. He, he prophesied drought as a consequence of, of, of Israel's sin. Ahab pursues him for three years. While he's in hiding, God feeds Elijah by ravens. Right? Can, you, can you visualize this? You're like dropping stuff for Elijah to eat. I don't know what a raven sounds like, but that seems like the most sensible raven voice. He performs a miracle for a woman who's literally has her last meal. She's preparing to have her last meal with her son. And Elijah comes in and says, prepare one for me first. And in faith she does, and then her supply of grain and oil never, never runs dry. And later, Elijah comes back and, and her son has gotten sick and he's died and he, he literally raises the child from the dead back to life. He stands down 850 false prophets and calls down fire from heaven and God delivers. He destroys the false prophets, asks God for rain, and God brings a single cloud to bring rain on the land. Time and time again, God provides for Elijah and shows his supernatural power. And what happens? An angry psycho woman threatens Elijah and he freaks out. And he loses it. He falls apart. This amazing prophet of God just falls apart. And sometimes when we reach the breaking point, we can choose to give up or press into God's faithfulness. Sometimes the temptation is like, I, I just want to get out of Dodge. Because when we come down from the mountaintop, we can almost immediately face adversity. So we have a choice to make. Do we choose to depend on God or do we choose to depend on our own ability and what happened in that past season, the amazingness that we possess. And it's in those seasons where we're facing adversity, we're facing uncertainty, we don't know exactly what to do. It's in those moments that sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is rest in God. Sometimes it's just stepping into resting. You know, when you look at Elijah, he seems exhausted by the challenges he faces. He's just run. Run and run and run. And maybe you can relate. You're worn out. You're overwhelmed physically, mentally, emotionally, even spiritually. You're just, you're just tired. Maybe you're not even just tired. You're depleted. You don't, you don't have anything else to give. And you're in that moment where you just go, God, I don't have anything else. I don't know what to do. You know, throughout Scripture, we see the importance of rest. We see it throughout Scripture time and time again. The reality is physical rest leads to spiritual replenishment. It's not until we step back and we take a moment that the Spirit of God can begin to replenish our soul. Psalm 23, we quoted it last week. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. 
Not the Lord is my shepherd, He restores my soul, and then He makes me go lay down sometimes and go swimming in the river and whatever. No. He makes me to lie down in green pastures, and then He restores my soul. He calls me to a place of rest, and then He restores me. You know, when Elijah loses his mind and just starts running, God doesn't rebuke him, right? God isn't like, what are you doing, you moron? I just, I just showed up on the mountain. Like, don't, do you not remember that? He doesn't preach a sermon. He doesn't say, where's your faith now, Elijah? Now, what does he say? He says, eat and rest. We see it here in 1 Kings 19.5. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. And he looked around, and there by his head was some baked bread over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. You know, sometimes when you're exhausted, the most spiritual thing you can do is to rest. It's to just stop. It's just to take a moment in the presence of God and say, I just need to take a breath. Scripture says, be still and know I'm God. Not keep running 100 miles an hour in 100 different directions and somewhere maybe you'll, you'll acknowledge my presence. No, be still and know I'm God. Do we have space in our lives and in our schedules? Do we have margin to sense the presence of God? Or are we just constantly going, going, going? And I don't know. God shows up great. The rest we find in God will always strengthen and prepare us for what He's wanting to do next. Because the reality is He's walking with us. And He's desiring to take you to new places and new seasons and new opportunities. But if we're never strengthened by His presence, we won't be ready for what He has next. Once we've rested in the Lord, we need to keep moving. Because the temptation can be to stay put. Right? When we rest in God, sometimes it's like, yeah, I kind of like resting. This is kind of nice. I should nap more often. Maybe I should just stay in bed, you know? Feels pretty good to stay in bed until noon. Maybe binge watch my favorite show. We want to sometimes just set up camp and rest. And God's saying, no, I've got more for you to do. I want to use you for my plan and my purpose. First Kings 19. Verse 5, as we go back to our text, all at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some break bread over hot coals and a jar of water. I'm sorry, I just read that. 1 Kings 19.7, the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, strengthened by that food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, tore down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. So God calls him to rest and eat, and then Elijah proceeds to start complaining. They're trying to kill me, God. The reality is when God calls us to a place of rest, 
He doesn't want us to stay there. It's not like, you know, hit the snooze button and just keep on resting. You know, it's kind of like in this season of rest. So I think I'll just hang out. No, he doesn't want us to stay where he's called us to rest temporarily. God will always meet you in your need, giving you exactly what you need for the moment and where he's taking you. Not only is he present and faithful in the moment, but he's present in where he's taking you and where he's calling you. The truth is the extraordinary nature of God with us is often found in the most ordinary details of life. Yes, it's important we embrace the power of God with us in the natural because sometimes the only time we acknowledge it is when He's doing something supernatural. God, I know You're here. If You show me a sign, if You just heal me, if You just deliver me from this situation, if You just show up and give me this, this raise or this promotion, then I'll know You're here. Then I'll know You're present. And yet, it's so important that we embrace the power of Emmanuel in the mundane. In the basic moments of life. Seemingly the simple elements of our daily life. When our greatest need drives us to depend on God, we can receive the gift of His presence even in the simplest, quietest moments. You know, Elijah's just traversed through the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. God's presence has been constant. But Elijah's attentiveness has not. Do you understand that? That no matter where we go, no matter how far we wander away from God, He goes with us. No matter what we face in life, no matter what decisions we make, God never leaves. That's His promise. So we may not acknowledge His presence, but He's still there. He's still with us. God with us is not a conditional promise. 1 Kings 19.11 The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. And then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire came a gentle whisper. Isn't it amazing? In the wind, you know, you might be in a season of life where you feel like life's just blowing you this way and that way, and you, you feel like you're literally hanging on by a thread. But the reality is the Lord is not in the wind. And you may be having the foundation of your life just shaken to its core and it feels like everything around you is falling down. But God's not in the earthquake. And maybe you feel like you're standing in the fire like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You literally feel like you're in the midst of a burning fire where no matter what you do, no matter what you say, no matter what you believe, it just feels like life is burning up. And you feel intense pressure. And you can't get rid of it. The Bible says God's not in the fire. Earth, wind, and fire. Hey, that's a great band. God's not in any of it. 
God was not in the remarkable, not in these massive events of life. No, God was in the ordinary. God was in the whisper. The truth is when we're overwhelmed, overcome by worry and anxiety, why does God's voice seem so quiet? Right? Maybe you're like me. You're facing all this stuff and it seems like life's just smacking you in the face. You can't really duck or dodge. It's just everything's hitting you head on. And you wish God would just be like, hey, I got you! And yet that's not what we get. Why doesn't God speak to us in spectacular and amazing ways? If He wants us to know Him, experience Him, and trust Him, why doesn't He shout over the noise? Why can't we hear His voice? Why does He whisper? You ever notice that? The devil shouts lies in your life. You're not good enough. You have no value. You have no worth. Everybody in this company does it better than you. You're going to fail this test. You've prepared, but you're going to fail. Nobody even really likes you. You should isolate yourself and pull back from community and relationship because you have nothing to offer. The devil shouts those things into our lives. And yet God whispers the truth. You're mine. You're my child. I love you. I'm with you. My presence goes before you. I am Emmanuel, God with us. I'm with you. Why does he whisper? It's because he's always close. God is always close, no matter where we go. Have you ever noticed what happens when you whisper? And I'm not talking about the creepy, weird whisper that the president does sometimes. You know, it's free. No, I'm talking about a whisper. Have you ever noticed? You know, I, I often talk about what I, my, my hobby that I do on the, on the side, umpiring baseball. I've done it for a number of years, and one of the things that happens inevitably is somebody takes exception with a call that we make. I know that, you know, it's hard to believe, but coaches will sometimes come out with a high amount of passion and energy, and they'll start yelling as they come out of the dugout, oh my gosh, that's a terrible call. And the first thing we do is we put our hand up like this. Hey, coach, we'll talk. You know, it's, we're good. And usually that, that'll slow them down, but it doesn't tend to slow down their emotional state. So they come in and they're, you know, that's terrible. You can't make that call. It can't possibly, you know, whatever it is. And we have this little technique we use. First thing we do is um, we lower our voice and usually we'll put our hand over our mouth like this. That way people can't see what we're saying. And we'll say, Coach, I want to hear what you have to say, but I need you to settle down. I need you to, we can talk. We can talk like, you know, individuals. And when we whisper, what do they have to do? They have to lean in. They have to get in close. We can talk like this. It's the same with us in life. God does not shout louder to get our attention. No, He he instead calls us to come closer. He whispers. He says, come come here. I want to tell you. I got you. I know you're going through a tough time, but I, I got it. I promise you, my presence is there. I'm faithful. 
He's with you. God with us. His, his promise is that He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. Psalm chapter 34, verse 18. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Are you brokenhearted this morning? Are you, does your spirit literally just feel like it's been crushed by the weight of the world? God, God is with you. Psalm 139.7 Where can I go from your Spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. His love, His presence, His provision, His peace, it's not circumstantial. It's there for us every moment of every day if we're willing to embrace that He is who He says He is. God with us. When we come off those mountaintop experiences, we darn well better be ready to be tested. Because what if our faith, what is our faith if it's never tested? What is the walk with Jesus Christ, if there's never adversity, we never really truly have to trust Him. You know, when it comes to our journey of faith, I would much rather be in the wilderness with God not knowing what is next than on top of the mountain without Him. Would you stand to your feet this morning? Father, we thank You we thank You that Your presence is constant, that You are with us no matter where we find ourselves. In the valley, on the mountaintop, or walking through the wilderness. Lord, You are there with us. You are strengthening us. You are guiding us. You are leading us. And although that we don't sometimes acknowledge Your power, Your presence, Father, we thank You that You're faithful. your promises are true that you'll never leave us you'll never forsake us Lord we thank you that you are a gracious God that you loved us so much you were willing to send your son God with us Emmanuel that we would be able to have life life more abundant that we would be welcomed back into relationship with you through the blood of Your Son. Father, we pray that we wouldn't take lightly what You've done. And as we celebrate this season, as we celebrate the promise of God with us, Lord, that we would share that hope, that we would share that joy and that peace with others. So Father, whatever we're facing, church, whatever you're facing this morning, whatever you are navigating through uncertainty, decisions. Not only is God with you, He will be your answer. He's going to navigate you to an answer, to a place, purpose, and hope. Father, we thank You. We thank You that You love us, that You're with us. And perhaps this morning you are in a place where you 
have not made that decision to follow Jesus with your whole heart. You've not made the decision to invite Him into relationship. And the truth is, you want to experience purpose. You want to experience hope. That hope is found in Jesus. We don't ever want to move past an opportunity to give an individual the opportunity to step into relationship with Jesus. If if this morning your desire is to follow Jesus with your whole heart and step into that relationship, we're going to say a prayer in a moment. The Bible says if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, we'll be saved. It's that simple. Making that commitment to follow Jesus. So this morning we want to say that prayer. We want to say it together as a church family. To join with those who are making that decision for the first time. Whether you're here in the house or tuning in online, would you say this prayer with me? Father God, please forgive me. I've sinned and I've made a lot of mistakes. I believe Your Son Jesus Christ came to this earth to show me how to live. And He died and was raised back to life so I could have a relationship with You. I ask You today to come into my heart and be the Lord of my life. Change the things in me I can't change as I choose to live for You today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, church family, we have the opportunity to step into this promise of God with us. We have the opportunity to step into the unknown, into the uncertain aspects of life with confidence. And just as as Elijah faced uncertainty and was renewed by the power and presence of God, we can find that same promise to be true in our own lives. So whatever you're facing, whatever decision you have to make, whatever situation you're going to be walking to and walking into in the holidays, know that God's presence is with you. And know that as we walk through these wilderness experiences, as we spend time on the mountain and in the valley, that God goes with us wherever we go. And no matter what He has in store for you this week, He's going to walk with you in it. So we're excited for what, what God is doing in our lives, in our church, in our community. We invite you to continue to be a part of uh, the things that are going on as we go throughout the next few weeks. But as we walk out of this place, let's go with the confidence of understanding that God is a good God and He has good things in store for you and for me. God bless you. Have an amazing week. Let's go out and be the neighborhood to our community.